You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferber, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Hey there, welcome back to the SPED Prep Academy podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer, and this podcast was created to guide special educators in their journey to become amazing teachers. I provide you with the support and training you need to become a highly effective special educator. If special education is your calling and you are in it for the long haul, then this is the place to be, and I'm going to be right by your side helping you learn everything that you can about being a great special educator. So today's episode is all about the things that I wish I had been taught when I was in college. And it kind of piggybacks on last week's episode of the letter that I had written to myself as a 22-year-old first-year teacher. So this episode just kind of digs in a little bit deeper into that. So as a teacher leader and someone who provides support to other special educators, both online and throughout my district as a department head and through providing professional development to teachers throughout the years, I hear this all the time. I wasn't taught that in college. And the sad truth is that they are right. They weren't taught a lot of things in college that they are having to deal with today. And that's very aggravating to me. Imagine if a doctor were to say, I'm sorry, I can't treat that sore throat because I wasn't taught how to do that in school. Or if an electrician said, your house may or may not burn down because I wasn't taught how to do that in school. And just as examples, both doctors and electricians are taught while actually working within their field. They have clinical experience and hands-on training that help prepare them for when the unexpected happens. So it's frustrating to me because we need to know too. We as teachers need to be told all about the aspects of the job so that we can better prepare ourselves for what we will actually experience instead of having to figure it out all on the fly and spend five years or more struggling. We need to experience a meltdown and see how an experienced teacher handles it. We need to see someone put together a schedule and and plan instruction groups. We need to see how to progress monitor and organize data. But no, We have a couple of months of student teaching, usually in a general education setting. We obtain a master's degree and are handed our own programs and are expected to to just figure it out all on our own. And that's for the teachers who follow the traditional route. What about the teachers who are licensed non-traditionally or the interim teachers who have no training at all? It's no surprise that the burnout rate for special educators is so high at five years in. They literally were not adequately prepared for this job. So I thought I would begin to try to let you in on the biggest holes your college preparation classes left. First off, you will deal with behavior. It's not a maybe. It's not a probably. It's a you will. This is one area that I thought I would be able to avoid as a resource teacher. And if I'm honest, I didn't think that self-contained teachers who worked with intellectual disabilities would have to deal with it either. I thought, naively, that only behavior teachers would deal with behavior, that those students would somehow magically end up in a behavior classroom where the teacher was trained to support them. In fact, I can hear the words of my husband ringing loud and clear in my ears after every single behavior episode I have when I come home exhausted and mentally and physically drained. He'll say, you don't have a degree in behavior. Why are you teaching kids who act like that? Well, dear, it's part of the package. 
and I've come to understand why behavior comes into play for a lot of my students, and I've learned different strategies for how to deal with the behaviors my students are displaying. But I definitely wasn't prepared for this in college. We discussed students who displayed behaviors, but I was under the incorrect assumption, again, that only teachers who had a degree in behavior would be the ones teaching it. Luckily, this is something that came rather naturally to me, but I will be honest, this is one of the most difficult aspects of the job. We are not told that it's highly likely that our classrooms will be destroyed at some point, that games will be thrown, papers will be shredded, decorations will be torn down, holes will be put into walls. We are not told to expect to be called names and to be screamed at. We are not explicitly told that a child will kick and scream and throw things when they don't have any other way to express their needs and wants. So I want to be the one to tell you, it's going to happen, and the only thing that will help is if you know ahead of time that it will happen so that you can prepare. A lot of time, behavior will go hand in hand with other disabilities. For example, a student who is struggling with learning how to read might not understand why he's so far behind his peers and is acting out because of embarrassment. A child with ADHD might have some aggressive tendencies, or it could be that they're dealing with trauma at home or have experienced it in the past and are acting out because of that. There are so many reasons why a child might act out, and there is always a function to behavior. If you want to go back and listen to episodes with Sasha from The Autism Helper on episode 43 or Nicole from Adaptation Station on episode 56, they both deal with behavior a lot more frequently and have way more knowledge on this topic than I do. And they've been on the podcast and shared their wisdom with us. So if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, please do that. But just so you know, you will experience it. Now, the best way to manage extreme behaviors is truly just having experience with it. But I do have a few strategies I want you to keep in mind to use before you actually get experience. You need to stay calm. Even when you want to scream, even when you want to cry, even when you want to be sarcastic, don't. Just stay calm and stay in control of your emotions. Children who are exhibiting extreme behaviors will feed off of your emotions. Therefore, staying calm will help them calm down. Another strategy is to reduce the number of words you are using. Reduce your volume and give them time. Set limits and know when to pick your battles. The second thing I want you to know about your college prep classes is that you are not properly prepared for the paperwork. Yes, we are told and even warned about the paperwork, but we aren't fully told the extent. Your instructors will tell you that you'll be writing IEPs and completing progress reports and keeping track of data. But for some reason, they leave out the amount of time that all this paperwork takes. And it's a significant amount. Luckily for you, you are working within this career during a time when almost everything is digital, where you have some checkboxes and templates, which makes me very jealous because when I started a long time ago, we had to write just about everything by hand. I mean, we did have a word processing program, but it was archaic, and <laughs> and then we had to print everything out on that triplicate paper with the million little holes in the side. Yes, I'm that old, but... We definitely didn't have the templates and programs like we have now, but even with the invention of computerized IEP programs to guide you in completing the IEP, there's still a crap ton of work to do. You have to have all of the information to put in the IEP, like gathering the data and information, and you have to write it into paragraph form. And all of this sounds simple enough, but when writing a good IEP, it can take several hours for just one, 
And therefore, you need to have systems in place in order to get your paperwork done. Some suggestions I have for completing paperwork is to intentionally give yourself some time to get it done. When you're making that master schedule at the beginning of every year, you know, the one that changes weekly, when you're making that master schedule, carve in some time to get paperwork done before anything else. Even if it's only a 15-minute block of time, write it in there and try your very best to protect that time. If you have a para who can cover for you, leave the room and try to knock a few things out on your to-do list. If you don't have a para to cover for you, put on an episode of Sesame Street for 15 or 20 minutes. There's nothing wrong with supporting your students' learning using an educational video that is relatable to what they're learning in order to give yourself some time to work. One of my students' favorite activities is to listen to books being read aloud on Epic or on StorylineOnline.net. And so you could put one or two stories on and let them listen to them while you work. Are you going to want to do this for an hour at a time? Of course not. But a little time here and there will be fine. And this is especially, especially important if your district does not provide you with any stipend or supplemental pay for writing IEPs. I know in my home state where I've never taught, I think that their special education teachers make more than a general education teacher for that reason. In the state where I work, that's not the case, or at least in the district where I teach, it isn't the case. We aren't given extra money for being a special education teacher on our salaries. And for many years, we did not receive any additional pay for working on paperwork. But now for the last four or five years, we've been receiving a stipend for writing IEPs. So that makes it a little easier pill to swallow when you're writing IEPs at home, because at least you're getting compensated to do it instead of just doing it on your own time. So if you are not getting any type of reimbursement for your time working at home, then I highly recommend carving out some time in your day to at least get some things done. If you're struggling with knowing how to write a compliant and well-written IEP, I do have a brand new digital product that that teaches you how to write an effective and compliant IEP. And, And I'll put a link to that product in the show notes, but it's a great product that just lays everything out there. And it has the five steps that you need to follow in order to write a great IEP. And there's even posters that you can have for your conference room. And there's a whole bunch of forms that you can use for your data collection and, and just a, just a variety of things for special educators. So go check that out in the show notes. It's the writing and effective IEP digital product. The third thing that they don't teach you in college is that they don't prepare you for the wide range of abilities that you're going to be working with each day. A challenge of being a special education teacher is managing the wide variety of students and their capabilities. For instance, a child who is nonverbal needs an entirely different approach to education than a student with attention deficit disorder. This requires teachers to be flexible in their teaching styles while keeping realistic expectations for all students. And you know the saying, if you know one child with autism, you know one child with autism? Well, this also applies to students who are diagnosed with learning disabilities. You could have a group of four kids who all qualify as having a specific learning disability in reading, but when you start working with them, you're soon going to discover that none of the four have the same skills as another one. And so how do you support all of those students' needs at the same time? Well, when you figure it out, you can let me know. (laughs) Just kidding. But truthfully, it is downright difficult. This practice requires a lot of planning and organizing of groups to make sure that you're meeting everyone's needs. It requires you to adapt instruction, methods, and materials for individual or small group use. 
It requires manpower in the form of paraprofessionals who can support your students while you are providing direct instruction to others, and it involves a ton of collaboration with general education teachers when the instruction is provided within an inclusion model. The strategies I've implemented over the years is is to run centers or task box stations or sometimes both. So I'll give you an example of what this looks like in a resource room. Now, first of all, I have to say I am blessed to have a large staff, so keep that in mind, but you can blend grade levels where needed and do the same sort of thing. Our building schedule is developed so that not all grade levels are teaching the same subjects at the same time. This allows me to work with all at the same grade level at once instead of having to pull from different grade levels. So within my fifth grade math group, for example, I have what I would consider a high student, a mid-high, a mid-low, and a low student, and then I also have a student with intellectual disabilities who takes the alternate assessments. I have one para who works with that student on her IEP goals while I work with the four students who have been identified with a specific learning disability in math. I keep in mind that these four all learn very differently and have different strengths and weaknesses. I use district and building assessments to pinpoint individual skills that they need to work on. I have their IEP goals written down and I know what grade level state standard their teacher is working on for when they go back into inclusion. So now I do a combination of things. Sometimes I do four kids, four rotations, where they're all working independently. Sometimes we do two rotations and I partner a higher kid with a lower kid for some peer modeling. Other times we work as a whole small group. That's where the planning and organization comes in. However you do it, you're just going to have to make it work. And that's the thing that they don't tell you in college is that it's difficult and trying to figure out how to serve every child and give every child what they need is it's hard. And so I think that they, they should be telling us this in college. The fourth thing that they don't teach you is that they don't prepare you for how to be a boss to paraprofessionals. And it's funny that this area used to be my nemesis, and now it's actually my niche area. It used to be my biggest struggle, and now it's my favorite thing to teach other teachers how to do. Now, I've learned that we, and by we, I mean special educators all across the country, have very significant differences when it comes to working with paras. Some of us, including myself, are able to be a part of the hiring process, have a say in who works within their department, and are able to evaluate and train the staff as they see fit. Others are on the extreme other end and have no say in who is hired, are not allowed to be in on the interviews, and would never be allowed to evaluate a paraprofessional. And then there's so many different scenarios in between. So when I give my strategies, I want you to keep this in mind and apply the parts that pertain to you. So when you're in college and you are told about paraprofessionals, aides, assistants, parapros, however your district refers to them, you know that they will most likely be a part of your world, but you are never given any instruction on how to actually manage them. It is definitely a skill set that has to be learned, and it took me for what seemed like forever to learn it. I could teach. I could do paperwork, I could test and write reports, but that damn monster of being a boss scared me. It overwhelmed me and it pretty much ate my lunch for lots of years. I didn't know how to be a boss. I wasn't taught management skills or adult communication skills. I could talk forever to a child, but telling another adult what to do was uncomfortable. Until I realized it wasn't me against them. It wasn't me above them. It was us. And we needed to be a team if we were going to move forward. So I began putting some things into place to help us all learn how to be a team. 
When I first made this mind shift change, my co-teachers and I implemented weekly department meetings where we could cut inclusion time short by 10 minutes and pull any students who had a one-to-one pair with them into the room and give the kids an activity to keep them busy while we met as adults. This time was not allowed to be used as a bitch session, but instead we asked how things were going, how the schedule needed to be changed, if there are any concerns we needed to share with parents, and we would ask how we could support them more. This ended up being very productive, and it made me realize that if I was going to get ahead of the issues that came along with having a staff, I was going to have to put in the work to lead. I knew I had to implement some strategies as a leader in order to gain their trust and to have them realize that I saw them as a team player and not someone who was beneath me. It was also at that time I realized I wanted to have something concrete to give the pairs so that they could see the expectations of their jobs, and it would also give me something to help hold them accountable. So what I did was I developed a paraprofessional binder, or a handbook, whatever you want to call it. You can find these things online, especially on Teachers Pay Teachers. There are a lot of different teachers who sell these, but but I created mine because I wanted specific things in there, and I wasn't finding it in other ones. And Oh my gosh, can I just say game changer. This thing has changed my life. It allows me to lay everything out on the table, show all my cards, if you will. Through this one notebook, I am able to clearly communicate my expectations. I'm able to outline procedures. I'm able to train my staff on things that they need to know and so, so much more. I would never not use a handbook as a special education teacher now, and I wish that someone would have told me a long time ago that being a boss is tough, but that there are things you can do to help you be successful with it. If you want to take a look at my handbook, I will link it in the show notes. The newest version is editable so that you can modify it to fit your program's needs. And the last thing that you weren't taught in college that I wish you were is that scheduling is a freaking nightmare. So when you are in college, at least for me, and you think about your future classroom and how it's going to operate, you might have a picture in your brain of, okay, I'm going to teach this at this time and that at this time, and we'll do recess here and we'll do snack time at this time. And it's all just very linear and pretty. And that very well may be the case if you are a self-contained teacher and your students are with you all day. But when you run a resource room with multiple paraprofessionals and have a lot of students and are teaching a span of six grade levels, your schedule is going to look anything but linear. In fact, it's probably going to look a lot more like a Tetris game than anything else, especially when you're playing Tetris right there at the end and you're just about to lose. And that's exactly what it feels like when you're creating this schedule, trying to fit in all the pieces to make them fit nicely. So I wish someone would have told me this would be a struggle and would have given me some strategies of how to make it all work. So I want to teach you how I do this. The first thing to do is to make a spreadsheet with all of your names at the top, all of the SPED teachers, if there's more than one of you, and all of the paraprofessionals, and each name gets its own color. Then on the left side going down, you need to put the time you start the day, which for me is 730, and keep going in increments of five minutes until you get to the end of the day. Now, you may be wondering, why five minutes? I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I promise you there's going to be times that that there's overlapping, where you're going to need to break it down that deep into five-minute increments. And then I start just filling things in with my planned time first so that I can do my best to keep it protected. And then I schedule in the highest needs kiddos first. Then I go to pull-out groups and finally to inclusion groups. 
There's actually a lot more to it than that. But for today's show, I just wanted to keep it brief. I wanted you to know that this isn't something that is taught in school, and it keeps coming up on teacher Facebook groups about the difficulties of scheduling. So I wanted to include the strategy that I use. If you want to learn more about how I schedule in a different episode or you want to talk through your schedule with me, just drop me a message on Instagram. I'm at Sped Prep Academy over there as well, and I'd be happy to assist. So there you have it, my five things that I wish I'd been taught in college. I truly believe our college preparation classes drop the ball in so many areas when it comes to preparing special educators for the real world. Thank you for sticking with me until the end. I can tell that just by listening to this show that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am, and you want to grow into an amazing educator, and I'm here for it. I'm here for you, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share all of my wisdom of being a veteran SPED teacher on the SPED Prep Academy podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast and want to share it with your friends, go ahead and screenshot an image of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the show and leave a review. They give an instant boost to my ego and help others find the podcast as well. And I'd love it if you'd join us in the private SPED Prep Academy Facebook community. We are a safe space where special educators and related service providers can talk shop. If you liked what you heard today and realized you found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and then head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.